Well, no, it's, you don't, Steve doesn't have to do anything in this episode. You're my new yeah, Steve. Yeah, no, I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. I feel, I always feel bad in these situations where there's, like, I'm off remote while there's two guests, you know, with you there, Steve, because I feel like I'm just sitting here by myself. You two guys are getting cozy, but because I can't see you and you can't see me, whenever I'm talking, you're just there rolling your eyes and making <laughs> hand gestures implying I'm a wanker kind of deal. That's no different to how I normally react to when you're speaking <laughs> on my own anyway. I've just assumed because you're not here in studio and you're not wearing any pants. Which is how I'm going to picture you, and that's that's that. I thought we were recording earlier at like twelve, and I sat down with my whole setup to record, <laughs> and I wasn't actually wearing pants in that moment. <laughs> I've since but now put I'm some supposed on. to believe that you are. Yeah, okay. I've since put okay. some on. Richie is an after lunch pantser, but mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't believe in pants before lunch. No, no, no. PBL. <laughs> Not a PBLer. Okey Not a PBLer. Dokey. No, like my dad and my granddaddy before him. Yeah. <laughs> It was a bit tough down the mines when you're like, going, you know? It's hot. It's hot. That's our family crest. It's just a man throwing a pair of jeans off a cliff. I thought you said the mines, like in World War One or something. Then I had this image of like an old dangly grandpa ball hitting a landmine. Ah, and I was like, Jesus what? Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. No one was going that, in no that direction. One. No one. I'm just that. That's just the tone that we're going to go for in the show. You know, you need to make people aware. Oh god! Can dangly we, grandpa balls. Can we, can we stop talking about dangly grandpa balls and actually just get into it now? Because... What's, what's, this, what's this the Irish favorite folk band? What's the Irish for deadly grandpa balls? <laughs> Moggerly Crocker Shanier. Oh, that sounds lovely. That sounds like a, a really Irish B&B out in the Galway countryside. Yeah, yeah. Cade Mila Falcha to Moggerly Crocker Shanier. Oh. <laughs> oh, Richie, we have to now make sure that we funnel all of our millions of profits from this show into mm. setting up a pub in Killarney called... What was it again? Moggerly Crocker Chanier. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll text it to you. Yeah, yeah it's, please. It's cute. It's charming. As you guys can probably tell, we are joined by a special guest today. How do we do this? Because I've got I've got questions I want to ask, but should we do like a general introduction before I give you my my questions? Sure. Um, my name is Peter Cavanagh. I am a fluent Irish speaker. I was born and raised in Dublin, and I am a sociolinguist. So I was delighted to be asked to come on and talk about the politics of language. That's fucking perfect. Is that vague enough? That's vague does that enough. Be, is that vague enough? Yeah, okay. it could be anything. Uh, great. Okay. So I've got a couple of questions for you. So this is like how, because I don't know you at all. So this is how That's, I... No, you don't. No. These are the criteria with which I assess every human being. So first of all, what are your thoughts on Bono? My thoughts on Bono? Yeah, it's a bone of contention on this show. Oh, he's a pox. Hey! <laughs> the graffiti has never been wrong. Bono you want to elaborate on, on, on what that means for our American listeners? Oh, yeah. Okay. So like, um, you know, syphilis, it's kind of like (laughs) equating Ireland's most successful musical export to uh, syphilis. Right. Uh, That that he's he's an unseemly stain on on the Irish landscape. Fantastic. So you're in the Steve camp on that. Yeah. Some U2 songs are okay, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the stuff from the 80s was pretty good. The 80s is pretty good. There's been 20, there's been two years, 20, two decades, 20 years since then. 20 decades? 20 decades. Yes. Been a pox for a long time. <laughs> 200 years of this poxiness. That's what the real revolution was about. Uh, okay, question number two. If you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what Bon Jovi song would it be? <laughs> um, 
Wanted dead or alive. That's the wrong. I actually have that written down here. If you said anything else, I was going to say, no, that's wrong. I'm sorry. It's wanted dead or alive. <laughs> so Get nice. In. You can He's stay. He's hitting all the notes. He's, here he is. <laughs> Uh, and then the last one, which is actually somewhat relevant for your area expertise. What's your favorite fictional language? My favorite fictional language? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. It's probably Klingon because it's like definitely the most well-developed of all the fictional languages out there. Yeah. I mean, like this guy, was it Steve Auckland? I think his name was actually like, he was the linguistic consultant on the Star Trek movies and early Star Trek, the next generation. So he invented the language and he yeah. started like in order to make it consistent, he had to put together a Klingon grammar. Yeah. And uh, he he just developed the whole language out there. So my favorite phrase in Klingon is uh, which means, are there any good restaurants in this area? <laughs> so are you saying that there's like like language tapes that you can listen to in Klingon that give you like the basics to like survive in a Klingon as a tourist in Klingon? On Kronos. On Kronos. Is that the <laughs> yeah, name of the, the name of the Klingon homeworld, yeah. Uh, I should know all this. I just finished watching The Next Generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know Esperanto, the um, the language that was developed to be an international medium of communication and end all wars and all that? Yeah. It's the only artificial language that really took off. More people actually speak fluent Klingon than speak Esperanto. I'm not one of them, by the way. I just learned off that, that one phrase years ago and it kind of stuck with me. Uh, um, but, you know what? That's the third. That's the second time Esperanto has been mentioned in the last three episodes. This is a very. very was one of them, Ed David? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. got a. He's he is like so. Esperanto and the green political movement sort of have an awful lot of uh, crossover. I'm not an Esperanto speaker. I, I do think it's kind of silly. I think language has a lot more to say about identity than than just being a tool for communication. But I suppose that that's the point of this conversation. Yeah. We should actually point out here just in case anyone is googling you as they're listening to this that you are also involved with the green party same as ed yeah yeah i'm, I'm a member of the green party i yeah. wouldn't be involved to the same extent as ed ed is like super environmental like i have ed david posters on my wall because <laughs> he doesn't he's he's that good an environmentalist i'm i just about remember to put things in the recycling bin sure but in ter- but like <laughs> but yeah in case anybody's wondering what my political leanings are i i am a, a green meanie yeah and apparently now this we've only talked to two people that are actually members of political parties and both of them have been green party members so i think we may be turning into the green party podcast at this stage That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. No, we need to get um, we, we need to get, get some Sinn Feiners on or something. Yeah, next. who's your most hated politician? And we'll get him on. Uh, like ever or at oh, the yeah. moment, dead or, or alive? We'll have a say on. Dead or alive? <laughs> we'll get him on. We'll get yeah. him on. If you could do a podcast with Eamon De Valera, that'd be amazing. Oh, that'd be so yeah. creepy. Even so if he was creepy. alive. Even if he was still alive, it'd yeah. be creepy. Yeah. Uh, ah, listen. Get get somebody from Young Finnegale on. That'd be a laugh. Isn't that you, Steve? You're weird. That, that was me in a past life, yeah. okay? I've, I've changed. Anyone who joins a political party under the age of 30 is a bit suspect anyway. But <laughs> if it's young Fine Gael. Uh. Uh, we've got a lot of friends that listen to this podcast that are members of young Fine Gael. So um, check your lives, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Reassess your life choices, maybe. So is that the end of your introduction, Richie, or do you have oh, any yeah, more questions? <laughs> I was wondering what that pause was for. Uh, yeah, I only had three was, questions. This is your segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, se- segment okay. is a very, very strong word. Fever dream is more accurate. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's... You're, 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 Peter, you're all good in my book. Should I call you Peter or Patter? Um, I normally go by Peter when I'm speaking English. And it's kind of a... It's an interesting one because, like, 
it's not like I go around with two identities. Like I'm not, um, I, I, I'm Peter Kavanagh, but I'm also known. But by night you're Pader. possibly by more people. By, by night I'm Pader O'Quavonic. Ooh. Yeah, when I put on my spandex uh, <laughs> and my lycra, I'm Pader O'Quavonic. No, I, look, uh, it's a weird one for me because I was raised as Peter Kavanagh. My parents didn't speak Irish. And then when I went to an Irish school, they called me Pader O'Quavonic. And then, so I've kind of lived with both names, but it's just sort of weird to be speaking English and to be called Pather. So when people are speaking English to me, I'm I'm Peter, and if people are speaking Irish to me, I'm 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 Pather. But to be honest with you, I've been called a lot worse than either of those in my life. So, <laughs> like what? Well, I made the mistake once. Somebody just said, like a friend of mine from school. We were just sitting around having a pizza, a bunch of us one day, and he said he leaned over. He says, uh, you know, should we call you Peter or Patter when we're outside of school? I said, ah, oh, you can call me whatever you want. He said, all right, shit heel. So like I said, I've been called worse. So I'm not going to say you can call me whatever you want. You can call me Peter. That's no problem. Uh, I actually was, re- I was doing a bit of research on you, Peter, beforehand. And there's a quote from you here. Uh, we speak Irish, but we're pretty normal. We're not Nazis. We're not leprechauns. Have you been called either of those things? Yeah, yeah. That was um, that was from an article I wrote for the Journal.ie, uh, which, and then I did an interview with Dave Fanning on Radio One about it. And I have been called both of these things. Jesus um, Christ! This is this is about like our perceptions of the Irish language, and it's a purely Irish context, and it's kind of a unique situation because of how we feel about our own native language and the way it's taught. For anybody who's, who hasn't been through the Irish education system, like myself, it's it's taught at school. So it's taught at primary school and secondary school levels. So right up until you're 18, you're learning Irish. So people feel that it's forced down your throat. So a lot of people think anybody who speaks Irish is, a, is an Irish Nazi. It was actually Paul Williams, the journalist who presents News Talk Breakfast here on National Radio in Ireland, that um, said the Irish people, the Irish speakers are Nazis. He kind of did it in a fun way, though. You know, he sort of said, "Yeah, uh, like those fun Irish Nazis. speakers, you must speak." He did the accent. He did the accent. Oh my god! Which is which is never cool. Uh, and then, as far as leprechaun goes, yeah, that's another thing. People think that you're some little backwards twee farmer or fisherman or leprechaun or, or you know that you're living in the past if you try and communicate through Irish, that it's not the language of progress. Right. It's not the language of science or technology. There was one person, the same person who called me a leprechaun was actually saying, sure, what's the point? You can't code in Irish. <laughs> I was kind of going, but like, now I'm not, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really, really bad when it comes to technology. I'm, I'm yeah. terrible. But like, I was... I was under the impression that coding actually had its own languages. That's what I understand yeah. as well. Yeah, you don't actually code in English either. So I don't really understand. So yeah, so I was called a, a, a leprechaun, a Nazi, uh, an elitist. That was my favourite. Apparently I speak Irish because foreigners don't speak Irish and I don't want to be around them, which is nonsense. Jesus. Absolute nonsense. I was doing an interview on Radio 1 about this during uh the Naguelga, Irish Language Week here with uh, Dave Fanning, who's quite a, quite a famous DJ over here. And he was reading out all these things that Irish speakers have been called. And he just sort of said, this is nonsense. This is crap. You're not being called this. You've got a victim complex. <laughs> and then all the texts and tweets started coming in. And he just went, oh, geez, I'm sorry. They are actually <laughs> calling you all of these things live. Right now, live on the air. Here's someone calling you a Nazi. There's someone saying you're elitist. Yeah, yeah so it's, uh, oh, look, it's fun and games, you know. It's a bit of crack. I love being called a Nazi. Yeah, sure. Nazis are great lads altogether, aren't they? <laughs> Um, well, what about all the good things? No, I can't oh, even. God, no. <laughs> oh, no, that's not. No, that's, no, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw a line at, at Nazis. I'm sorry, lads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just how I feel. Listen, if it, not a fan. Just gonna take it, a stance right now. It can only go up from here. We started with Nazis. It can only get better. That's it. 
Also, when I was doing my research on you, you've got a Wikipedia page, but it's like a paragraph. You might want to work on fleshing that out, Peter. Well, I didn't write my own. You like, didn't? That's, that'd be the height of hubris to write your own. No. Um, we wrote our own. Did you write your own? We don't have one. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking, because I was doing my research on you, and you don't have a Wikipedia page. Um, yeah, so I um, immediately after doing this interview with RTE, all of a sudden I found myself thrust into a national sphere that I'd never been in before, and within a week somebody had written a Wikipedia page about me that I won't I won't lie, I did I I corrected one inaccuracy <laughs> in it, but I didn't write the page myself. Um but like yeah, it's 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 weird. So it was created by somebody, I don't know who it is, created by a wiki user um who had also who had previously been interested in writing Wikipedia articles about a bunch of Irish myths and legends, like Cullen like, like, like yourself. Like myself, <laughs> an Irish legend, yeah. Legend. Right, listen, it's it's great company to be in. Um, mm-hmm. No, like if I'd written my own Wikipedia page, I would have thrown in like a picture, a particularly sexy looking picture, mm-hmm. that. but no, it's just a paragraph, that's right. Apparently, you're an influencer. Oh God, there's that term. This is a horrible term. What it's does it mean? Term. Did you do you do you have powers? I have I have special powers, many special powers, but none of them involve influencing. Because <laughs> um, I'd influence, you know, like house prices down or something. Yeah, like if I could. this is like if those influencers, if all those people who claim to be influencers who put influencers in their Twitter bio and all that, why don't they ever use their powers for good? <laughs> why are they only ever using your powers to make you buy like filter coffee and makeup and, and sure. shit like that no this is a, so myself and a friend of mine we, we set up a project called Pop Up Gweltacht which is where we get Irish speakers once a month to go for pints in a bar where they normally wouldn't be heard or seen and that's it it's as simple as that we just did this thing where we just wanted to go for pints on a Thursday and you're called an influencer because you want to go for a few drinks with the lads yeah basically that's it because it's just it's it's unbelievable it's grown there are pop-up Gweltucks now on five different continents it's all over the country it's all over the world there was one in La Paz Bolivia uh, wow. last month there was one in Perth uh, Singapore Dubai uh, Paris Drumahair County Leitrim. Oh. I'm particularly proud of that one. That's it. Uh, I we went from Dubai to Paris to Leitrim. To Leitrim, yeah, yeah. It's big like three. A, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we just set up this open source project where anybody could, um, anybody could, uh, you know, d- do what we were doing. And uh, yeah, people just said, this is a great idea. Why didn't anybody think of it before? So, so then um, one of the online uh, art magazines, uh, I think it was Love in Dublin, said that we were, and this is strange enough, they named 50 people who are shaping modern Ireland and myself and my pal Oscar were one person. So I think we ha- we're half a person each. <laughs> I'm half an influencer. Influencer. I'm 50, I'm, I'm, I'm a censor. A censor. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, they, like, yeah, I'm, I'm half an influencer. Well, don't try influence us into anything we don't want to do. I'll, I'm on to you. Ooh, <laughs> I'm using my powers. I can't do it remotely, but still, you know, Steve's Uh-oh. right here. Uh-oh. I'm influencing him into some freaky shit right now. Oh, no. <laughs> What's the Irish language safe word? <laughs> okay, we've been talking about the Irish language quite a lot here, and we're taking it as a given that people understand the context to it. Um, whereas we probably shouldn't, considering quite a lot of our listenership is off the island and aren't even Irish themselves. So would you mind giving us a rundown of, say, the history of the Irish language and how it has fared in as the Ireland became a country and then kind of how it stands now? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Irish language is one of the oldest continuously spoken languages in the world. It's a Celtic language, which means it's directly related to Scots Gaelic, another minority language, Welsh, uh, Manx, Cornish, 
Breton and Galician. Uh, they all grew out of what was called Proto-Celtic, which came over with the Celtic era settlers from the Indo-European area, the Indus Valley, and the likes thousands upon thousands of years ago. Um, Irish, Scots, Gaelic and Manx split from Welsh, Cornish, Breton and Galician um, a couple of thousand years ago. Um, and that's where the, the two strands have sort of grown apart. But Irish itself developed because Ireland, Ireland was an island, is an island, was an island, <laughs> is still an island. We haven't what fixed that yet. Like, I've gone. <laughs> we built a bridge. We uh, missed you so much, Richie. We just started, I just went down to the beach every day yeah. and started putting more and more rocks and oh. now uh, we got a bridge to Wales. It's kind oh, wow. of, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Giant's Causeway, just yeah. a bit shitter. Yeah, Steve's Causeway. Yeah, Steve's Causeway. You just get, just, Goes towards London. <laughs> Which way is London? Splash, splash, splash. So Ireland is an island and has almost always been. Um, and so the language sort of developed on its own here without too many external influences until uh, the invasion of the Normans in and around uh, 1172, in and around in exactly 1172 <laughs> AD. Uh, so Anglo-Norman rule took hold in Ireland and thus began a couple of sets of laws that were designed basically to eradicate the language because one of the easiest ways to subjugate a people is to take their own language away from them and force them to speak the language that you speak. So they have to communicate with you in your language. Now, when you consider that the Norse and the Danes had settled in Ireland for years and they'd added words to the corpus of the Irish language, they did like, for example, we wouldn't have a word for ship or for penny or for um, silver or which later became money if it wasn't for the Norse languages, the, the, the Nordic are, languages. These are Irish words in Irish. Words in Irish, okay. yeah. Pingin is very close ah. to like, you know, You'll see it in the Viking word for that. The Viking word, cool. yeah, what the Viking word for penny would be, which would be close to pingin. And uh, even like Lungfurt is the Irish for a, a ship harbor, and it's very similar yeah. to what the what the Norse would have would have called a, a harbor as and well. That's why ninety eight percent of places in Ireland are, end with Ford. Yeah, 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 a lot of them do. Anywhere that ends with Ford either comes from port or fjord, ah. which the Norse. So place names are a great indicator of where people settled and all that. Even even uh, Dublin. You know, Dovlin, the Black Pool, very similar to Difflin, which is what the Vikings would have called it. They set up a kingdom in the greater Dublin area called Difflin Arskiri. And they they sort of, they ended up becoming what's known in Irish as Nisgwaelin on the Gwaelid Fane, or more Irish than the Irish themselves. <laughs> they settled in, they intermarried, they just, they thought, you know what, lads, how about we stay here where it's slightly warmer than <laughs> Norway? And, and we settle and we become part of the landscape. And so they did. That's why things like, you know, you, you hear tell about the Battle of Clontarf, 1014, over a thousand years ago. It's always set up as this epic battle between the Irish and the, the Vikings. Mm. It really wasn't. It was these guys, the Irish over here, with their Vikings against these other guys with their Vikings and some other Vikings and some other Irish guys. It was more like Game of Thrones than like, you know, Command and Conquer. You yeah, know, it, yeah. was, it was really <laughs> not as straightforward. These are the goodies and these are the baddies. It's sure, a yeah. little bit more nuanced. And, and language has a big bit to play in that because obviously these people wouldn't have been able to communicate and, you know, get into these complex political arrangements with each other if the Norse and the Danes hadn't learned the language and settled in and become part of the, the great tapestry, the great fabric of Ireland at the time. The Normans arrived and they decided, fuck this. Different attitude. Different attitude. No way. We're in charge. 
everybody's going to be speaking Norman French, right? That's the way it's going to be because that's what we speak. And then eventually that became English as the language of the King of England changed to the vernacular over there, English. They realized, okay, English, that's fine. So they ended up passing statutes like laws, um, the, the Accords of Kilkenny, other laws throughout history that forbade intermarriage with the native Irish, that forbade uh, Norman settlers to speak the language. Um, and then as educational systems started to take hold, as people started sending kids towards schools and colleges in Ireland, we had a great system of bardic colleges where we trained people to be poets and, and historians. They got banned. They had to go underground. And, and then you end up right away as far as the most famous set of laws, which were the penal laws. And the penal laws are probably more renowned for the damage they did to Irish Catholicism. They, they banned the open practice of the Catholic religion. They banned being a priest, harboring a priest or sheltering a priest was illegal. Going to mass was illegal. They weren't repealed until Daniel O'Connell's efforts in the mid-1800s. Uh, 1829, I think, was repealed, but I'm not sure about that. We can, we can Google that, I'm sure. We have a website for corrections, so uh, cool. don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> We've got lovely friends out there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the penal laws also... Um, penalised Irish. And then the, the most shocking of them all was under the national school system, which was set up by the British administration in Ireland. And, and we inherited that. So basically our entire primary school system is based off this, this uh, system that we inherited. They used to give kids what was called a bata skur, or a, a, basically a bait and stick. And uh, every time a kid spoke Irish, the teacher would cut a little notch into the bata skur. And at the end of the day, they'd get an equivalent amount of... Uh, I suppose, strokes of a cane Jesus. or whatever instrument the teacher was fond of using, a belt, whatever, equivalent to those. So it was literally the establishment was trying to beat the language out of the natives. But uh, these teachers, they were probably actually Irish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. They, they weren't British. Yeah. No, 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 no. They were just they going along with the system. Those were the rules and that was yeah. that. The other thing is, obviously, at the time... Uh, especially when the famine rolled around 1847, a million people died, another million emigrated, followed by a further million to two million over the following decades. Speaking Irish was no good to you if you were going to go to London or Liverpool or Newcastle or Toronto or Quebec or Boston or New York. Or Leitrim. So, no, no, it was still useful in Leitrim at this stage, <laughs> thankfully. Leitrim, you know, always been true Wales over in Leitrim. Um, so Irish was not the language of progress. It wasn't the language of progress. What's the point of learning Irish if you're going to be going over to New York as soon as you turn 16 or 17 or 18 anyway? So, and, and that was not an accidental happening. That was as a result of centuries and centuries of language planning, basically, or anti-language legislation. Um, so for years and years and years, the Brits tried to um, basically rid us of a native language in order to make us easier to subjugate. And then when we got independence in 1922... We decided to go one step further ourselves and uh, all of the efforts that were taken to save the language have been largely counterproductive. By the time Ireland got independence, uh, Irish was reduced to several pockets around the West Coast uh, called Gwaeltachty. So a Gwaeltacht is an area where Irish is spoken. That's why when I set up a community project, we called it Pop-Up Gwaeltacht. We have a pop-up area where Irish is spoken. So these Gwaeltachty down on the, the west coast of Ireland, they run around from northwest Donegal through northwest Mayo to West Galway, the Connemara Gwaeltacht and the islands, and then down in West Kerry, West Cork and in Waterford. Uh, so those are the only Gwaeltachty in the area at the time, 1922. Eamon de Valera took steps to set another one up in Meath. So rather than trying to put Irish back on an equal footing with English as an official language that people, uh, you know, would would actively learn and pursue in the state. He made it a mandatory subject in school um, and then 
reinforce this idea that the Irish Irish is spoken in these little pockets all around the area. Now, the Gwaeltachty are great. I love going there. It's fantastic. I have cousins who live in the Kerry Gwaeltachty. I really, really enjoy being in the Gwaeltachty. I think they're fantastic areas and they do need to be preserved at this stage. But if I was honest with you, going back, having a look at that time, if we had the opportunity to sort of do anything with the language, it certainly wasn't to reinforce this idea of reservations where Irish is spoken way out on the West Coast, out of sight, out of mind. And what you end up with is these places have been forgotten. Uh, there's not a lot of industry in there. I know people who've moved up from the Gwaltic to Dublin simply because there's no broadband yeah. in their area, you know, so they can't set up a business. They can't do that. So recent census figures indicate that there's been a decline in Irish speakers in the Gwaeltacht and a growth in Irish speakers in major urban areas like Dublin, Cork, Galway, the cities, things like that. So is the future of the Irish language going to be in these little tiny pockets? It's incredibly doubtful. But at least Irish language, it does have a future. It is being spoken. It's a minority language. It's learned every day of their school life by almost every school student in Ireland. But only about 10% of the population reckon they can comfortably speak it. And only about 1% of the population claim to speak it every single day mm. outside mm. of the, the the education system. So that's hopefully an overall context of the Irish language uh, as a language. But you can see a lot of it is is related to to politics, to political decisions, Absolutely. to policies and to, to what successive governments have decided to do, or more importantly, in many cases, not do mm. when it comes to the Irish language. So we've talked about the EU a good few times because uh, Brexit is keeping it on the on the on the news. Um, but Irish is recognised as a, a working language in the European Union, isn't it? It is, yeah. That was actually a bit of a struggle. I was still in college when that campaign was going on, so I took an active role in it. Um, when we joined the, uh, the European Union in 1972, Three, uh, that corrections page is going to be so useful today. <laughs> I'm just um seventy three, I think seventy odd, seventy odd. Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah we ballpark most of these things just to avoid <laughs> being corrected. Yeah, sometime in the twentieth yeah. century, sometime before today. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened was uh, when asked about official languages and what language do you want business to be conducted in at the time, rather than taking the broader cultural uh, viewpoint of saying you know what, uh, the UK is joining at the same time as us. They're going to insist on English. Let's take Irish. We sort of, you know, we have a habit in Ireland of being the good Europeans and not really wanting to cause any trouble to our betters in the European Union. Mm. So we sort of said, oh no, English will be fine. Thanks very much. Yeah, don't want to cause too much hassle. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, so fast forward 30 years and there's those of us who speak Irish who realise that, well, you know, not a lot of people are actually interested in reading EU documents, but those of us who are, we wouldn't mind being able to read it in our language of choice. And it is a language being spoken by a certain amount of people in Ireland. So why isn't it uh, an official EU working language? Uh, it had a, a derogated status. It was what was known as a treaty language, which meant that nothing really had to be translated into it. So there was a series of letters written. There was a big march in Dublin and eventually our MEPs got on board with it. And, uh, oh, actually, there's a great story. Before Irish was an EU working language, Mary Benotti, a Fine Gael MEP, was elected and she was giving her maiden speech. And uh, she stood up and she started giving her maiden speech in Irish. And the chair of the session at the time at the European Parliament said, that's not an official EU working language. The member is directed to give her maiden speech in the official language of Ireland, English. Ooh, which isn't uh, true. It's well, it's not true. No, it's yeah. one of the two official yeah. languages. They both have. They in in Ireland in Irish law anyway. They've always had this sort of this special status. You know, Irish is the first language, but English is on almost an equal footing. Yeah. Mm. According in reality, English is the first 
practical language, but Irish has a special yeah, so, standing. But anyway, what Bonatti did was uh, she did the speech in Italian because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, Bonatti, does that mean that she was Italian by... Oh, she's got an Italian family, I'm oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. She ran for president in, um, I think, 97 um, against Mary McAleese. Okay. Uh, did win, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Mary McAleese did. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it'd be totally different. That's an alternative history that nobody wants to read. Yeah. What, if, what if Mary Bonatti became president? I don't think HBO are <laughs> Literally be... nothing has changed. Yeah, yeah. There's not going to be like a gritty Netflix serial about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different Mary, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slightly different Things Mary. Things are slightly different. <laughs> Her surname sounds like a tastier dessert. That's about it. Yeah, it's just like the only difference is like Dalmio's ever so slightly cheaper because of some sort of trade agreement. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Dalmio's probably not even made in Italy. I'm not even sure. No, I don't think so. As soon as I said that, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that it's not. Anyway. (laughs) So you're just going for the the easy stereotype again, Richie? Basically, that's me. Yeah, I'm really, really (laughs) showing my colours. Lazy stereotypes, yay. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, so we got, look, anyway, long story short, we got Irish in as an official working language. The benefit for it is it means that there's actually an additional career path for Irish speakers and people who can write uh, Irish because there are now Irish language translators required in the European Parliament. Um, we already pay into, because uh, a common argument against this is, oh, it's a waste of money. Nobody reads these in Irish, blah, blah, blah. It's like nobody reads these in English anyway. Yeah, nobody reads them. <laughs> nobody reads them at all. <laughs> Not even the politicians read them. But the fact is we actually pay into a common translation fund anyway. We would be paying into it whether or not there were Irish people being employed out of it. So for me, it's a win-win because we're going to have to pay for translation into Danish, into Dutch, into French, into German, into uh, Hungarian, Croatian, all of the languages that are official treaty languages. Why wouldn't we, for the same cost, have it translated into Irish? So the odd occasion where somebody who speaks Irish wants to read a 45-page white paper on the size of cow you're allowed to export to Hungary, (laughs) why wouldn't they be allowed to read it in Irish? Fair play to them. Yeah. So that's the Irish language and it's rough time, but it's probably very easy to say that most countries have got equivalents of languages that have been stamped on and squished out for the official language through the years. Oh yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. Like uh, this, there's an awful lot of uh, misunderstanding about like you know <laughs> how countries have always been. Yeah, and like even English in itself had dialects of its own. Like you know, even in Ireland, there was a dialect of English called Yola. That was spoken in Wexford up until yeah, today. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Yola. Yola. <laughs> Hashtag Yola. A, yeah, it did only live once. Uh, <laughs> it was spoken. Sorry, though, I found that so funny. Because <laughs> it was podcast gold. Uh, yeah. So Yola is a dialect of the English language that was spoken in Wexford from about the 1400s right the way through till the early 20th century. And it's 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 all but gone. It's completely gone now. There's one or two recordings in the National Archives, but there have always been dialects and languages that have sort of made way, just been steamrollered off the planet for whatever reasons there may be, mostly colonialism. It's mostly this idea. I remember I got into an argument around this, uh, this idea of there's an old Irish saying. It was Thomas Davis who first said it, and then Michael Collins and Parik Pierce have been known to say it at times as well. Tirgon Tanga, Tirgon Anam. A country without a language is a country without a soul. And somebody once said to me, that's bullshit. Do you not think Cuba has a soul? And I was like, do, do you think they've always spoken Spanish in Cuba? Like, do you think the natives who were there when Columbus arrived are happy? 
with the situation now where there's no, you know, yeah. there's only Spanish being spoken and they all got exterminated or sold into slavery. So we just kind of have to look back at things, look at everything in context and the way it was. And yeah, languages always make way to progress. And I don't think that's universally a good thing. You know, I really, really don't think it's a good thing that Native American languages are really, really under pressure at the moment, because just like Irish in the last 40, 50 years, Native Americans are being told that it's not the language of progress. Why would you bother learning Iroquois or Navajo or Lakota or any of those languages? Because you're not going to get a job with it unless you work on the reservation. Yeah. So unless you're working on the res, you're you're going to have to just learn English. So you might as well forget about that vital part of your own identity and just just move on. Just go into the English language world. It's better for everyone concerned. It's fucking not. <laughs> Languages are great. And, and and we don't have a limited amount of space in our heads. Like, we can keep learning. And especially when we're young. Noam Chomsky, um, for example, one of many sociolinguists who kind of went into political philosophy, uh, talks about the language acquisition device and how young people can keep learning languages like a sponge up until a certain point. So we should be learning more and more languages. And, you know, in particular in Ireland, we're absolutely terrible at languages. We we're are the third worst country awful. in the European Union for having additional languages. Only Hungary and the UK are um, are worse than us. I don't. I'm not fluent in Irish, and I'm always I'm too, way too lazy to try and learn something else. So I'm obliged now to learn Portuguese because of a Brazilian wife. But <laughs> even that is going quite slowly. Yeah. Can you speak any other languages, Richie? No, I was just going to say like the, we we absolutely have no excuse because we have a, like like you say two official languages. So there's a built-in reason and uh, like a cultural investment in learning two languages. And like you say, we, we learn at both levels of education right up until we're 18. It's like every single day we get exposure to it. But for whatever reason, 90% of us just can't get it into our thick heads. And I guess it goes back to the thing you were saying earlier about having isolated pockets of this language. So outside of your 35 minute a day classes on Irish, you're just not getting the immersion. And without the immersion, you're not having that daily challenge that motivates you to learn it. Would you say that's the reason why we're so bad at it? Or because that's how I feel. It's definitely one of the one of the many reasons behind it. Like there's a load of different reasons why we don't speak Irish. And one of those is that, first of all, you never had the immersion, but also you never had the impetus or the reason to mm. do it. You know what I mean? Nobody ever, you know, there are lots of people who learned Irish. And if in particular, you look at how Irish has developed in Northern Ireland, um, where it's far more vital part of the identity of a certain political ideology up there. People have learned Irish because there's a goddamn reason there. You know, yeah. I'm Irish and I want to learn Irish. And that's that's me. Whereas we never needed that down here. Not in Dublin, not in Cork, not in Waterford, Wexford, wherever. Not even in Drumahair County Leitrim, which <laughs> did a pop-up Welthicton. Is therefore legendary these days. Yeah. But like, we didn't have that impetus. And then, of course, the old chestnut that's always thrown out there is, that's ah, the way it's taught. It's the way it's taught. It's terrible. It's the way it's taught. Of course it's taught badly. But all school subjects are taught badly. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, I can't remember, I cannot remember the definition of an oxbow lake. Uh, I did leave and search geography. I can't remember the definition of an oxbow lake many, many years later because I have no reason to. Yeah, I you just know? remember the things from the subjects that I liked. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> but we don't tend to take personal agency. There's a big cultural hang-up over this. Like, going, it couldn't possibly be my fault I don't speak my native language. It has to be down to the teachers or to the school or to the curriculum or to the whatever. Can somebody else do it? Yeah. <laughs> I've got an app now that does it mostly for me pretty well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you've mentioned a couple of times that... Irish and uh, the Irish language is very, you think, is very much tied to the idea of the Irish nation and Irish identity. Do you think that is a core part of it? Do you think that in order to be Irish, you should be able to speak Irish? No, I don't think so. Um, for me, 
especially because, um, you know, Irish and Irish speaker, they're completely and totally different and separate. You don't need to speak Irish. You don't even need to speak English to, to speak Irish or to be Irish. You know, if you want to be Irish, you have an eligibility of over some kind of archaic law. Your grandparent was born here or you're married into the country, whatever. I think nationality, national identity, they're not really important when it comes to language. Cultural identity is. And, and that's why in Irish, it's far more easy to express because the Irish for... Irish, as in from this island or a citizen of this nation, is Aranuk. But the Irish for Irish, as in real Irishy, like, is Gael. Mm. So are you an Aranuk or are you a Gael? And, you know, that's a real interesting dichotomy to, to, to discuss. Like, yeah, it's, it's very, very, it's fascinating because, you know, Irish as a language predates the entire notion of some unified country called Ireland. Oh, yeah. There used to be a load of fucking psychos running around chopping bits out of each other oh, because exactly. they had no association of being from the same. It was great yeah. back then, right? It was great. <laughs> the, idea, <laughs> the idea of Ireland as one sovereign nation comes from a book called Furus Fassa Er Aaron, written by a priest called Sharon Caton in the early 1600s, shortly after the flight of Earls, when uh, the British establishment got rid of the last um, Gaelic Irish lords they all fecked off on a boat from uh, Lox Swilly, I think, mm. um, and went to Rome and Spain and other places. Uh, and then all the monks and the priests fled as well, and they set up the Irish College in, in Leuven, or Louvain, in, in Belgium. And one of them, a guy called Shahroon Caton, or the English translation is Geoffrey Keating, he wrote this big fictionalised history of Ireland called Furus Fassa or Erin. Um, and he basically invented all these mad stories or collected all these folk legends and tried to put them onto a timeline. Was he one of the first fake newsers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this was like, this is, I mean, what's the liberal equivalent of Breitbart? Because that's basically <laughs> what he was doing, you know? The guy was sound, but he wasn't, you yeah, know, yeah. like... Uh, he, I don't want to call out any names yeah, just in yeah, case yeah, yeah, I yeah, touch yeah. on someone's favourite news site. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. We can, uh, we can diss all the right-wing ones that you yeah, want. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely, yeah, because we're sound. <laughs> <laughs> it's whatampolitics.com. <laughs> That's the biggest piece of trash out that's there. That's the yeah. biggest piece of trash. The fake news. <laughs> this guy was a fake news merchant. Absolutely. And what he did was he wrote this book in Belgium and then travelled back to Ireland to kind of flog copies all over the place, <laughs> completely illegally, because at this stage, you know, being a priest was not allowed and he had to go into hiding. He was almost caught a couple of times. Had he been caught, he'd have been hanged. Uh, but he was spreading this nationalist propaganda that people had never heard of before. Because previously, if you were from Dublin, you were from this little town called Dublin, and, okay, maybe you felt some kind of connection to Leinster, the greater province around you. And maybe you held some sort of loyalty to the King of Leinster. But the King of Leinster was always fighting with the King of Munster, so you weren't the same people as them. They're different. Same with Dublin and Cork people right now. We're not the same people. We're not the same people. They're different down there. They're grand. They're fine. They're okay. They're lovely. In fact, even if you have a few pints of Murphy's with them, they're great. Yes. But they're just different, right? <laughs> but, like, the... the so this idea that we're all from one island, we're all one people, was just so strange and so unusual. When you consider that the language predates that notion of a country by thousands of years, no, I absolutely don't think that speaking Irish is any part of being Irish. And, and one of the things that gets thrown at me all the time as an Irish speaker is, oh, you think you're more Irish than... No, I don't. As I, as I have often said... Are you more Irish than Bono? I'm a lot more Irish than Bono. He's a pox. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My ability to speak Irish doesn't make me more Irish than anybody else. Um, I always remember from one of back when Tommy Tiernan, the Irish comedian, was actually good. He had a uh, a really good joke about how one of the reasons that Irish people curse so much when they're speaking English is that inherently built into their brain is that they're speaking a foreign language that isn't natural to their disposition. So the reason that they have to use the word fuck is like a chisel to try and mm. break through the communication barrier to get there. 
Yeah, and I think, or do I we think just that's the curse? The, I think that's we love the curse as well. Yeah, but I think it's devolved a little bit now. We don't curse as much as, as we used to. We use it. Bastards. Lot, I know. Fuck. <laughs> say, a lot of, uh, come on, Richie, say cunt. <laughs> I can't, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't Richie say cunt? I don't know. We established on the feminist podcast episode that we were allowed to say cunt. Oh, it's mostly because my ma listens to this show. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. I forgot oh, about I'm that. I'm sorry, Mrs. Ritchie. <laughs> Mrs. Ritchie? <laughs> Just Mammy Nolan. Mammy Nolan. Mammy Nolan. Mammy sorry, Mammy Nolan. Sorry I said cunt, Mammy Nolan. Bollocks! See, this is, this is you being an influencer. You're trying to influence me into being a bad boy. <laughs> that's it. Richie, if you were hanging around with those influencers again. <laughs> Just, yeah, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? They're all a shower cunts. Get off that Instagram right now! <laughs> Yola, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think t- Tommy Tiernan Tommy Tiernan did say he did have a brilliant one about um, how we curse and how if you're sitting down and your mom says will you pass the fucking butter that's fine but if she says will you fucking pass the butter oh, you're in yeah, trouble yeah, 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 there's yeah, a distinctive yeah. difference yeah. and I don't think I don't think I don't think there's any real it's really funny but I don't think there's any deep sociological reason as to why we we curse more in English than anything else uh, English has a lot more curses you know, like Irish has curses, but it has real like I'm cursing you. The original sense of the word. Yeah. Ooh. One of my favorite ones in 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 Irish is is Bunyakart. If somebody does something bad on you, you could just go ah Bunyakart, <gasps> which means may you suffer diarrhea. What Ooh. really nasty? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a really hurt. there's a really great YouTube video with a list of these, and I I clicked on it thinking to see like oh I'm going to find out what the curse words are in my native language, but no, they meant like literal yeah, curses, curses. Yeah. like we are wishing pox Rock. upon you. Yeah, and it was uh, yeah I'm going to get it for the show notes. It was really good. <laughs> yeah, one of them is just Bono. <laughs> <laughs> Be Bono upon thee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be thou a Bono. Bono upon your house and your descendants. <laughs> hey man, get off my roof, Bono. <laughs> Can't it's a curse. <laughs> World is broken. Bono, make it better. Box. <laughs> right, so come here, come here, come here. So cursing, yeah. Off the tangents. Um, <laughs> let's quickly talk about, you mentioned the politics of language, not necessarily like different languages, but rather how la- like languages use English um, in terms of identity on the internet. And you're saying that like some groups are starting to co-opt different words yeah, yeah. and then other people are like starting to like in terms of gender and that kind of thing. Well, this is nothing new, you know, co-opting words, taking words that people have used against you and, uh, and trying to take them on for yourself is uh, it's it's nothing new. We've seen it throughout the years. The LGBTQ plus movement have really successfully, you have to say, co-opted the word queer. Yeah. And you look at things like queer theory and stuff like that. So this was an offensive word for somebody. You couldn't say, don't, don't say queer. It's an offensive word. But now people are saying, well, no, actually we self-identify yeah. as queer and we're taking ownership of it and we're saying this political module in politics in queer college theory. is going to be called queer theory yeah. and we're going to talk about that or we're going to talk about queer literature. We're going to I talk actually... About- um, I was at a talk with David Norris, who's in his late seventies now at this stage. He's, he's, he's a yeah. very, very old, but he's um, he's been one of the the campaigners for um, LGBT rights in Ireland for got back forever. So he's pretty much been open his entire life. And he was giving a talk, and he mentioned in his talk that he doesn't, he still doesn't like the word queer. It's just something built into him because he's had to grow. He's at the bin. He's at that. Yeah. Well, he's had people a, throw things at him. Exactly. Call him yeah, a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. queer, like you dirty queer, which exactly. is which is horrible. It's horrifying. Then, someone tried to respond to that. No, no, we've taken the word now. We're owning it and now. It's a point of pride that we're going to use for ourselves. And he's like, "Oh, that's fine, but I don't. I still don't like it. Call me a fairy instead." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Which is nice. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's not nice. It's not nice. It's not uh, nice. I won't, Mr. Norris. <laughs> Thank you. Senator Norris. Uh, and then you look at, a, you look at for example, African-American musical culture and all that and the ownership of the N-word and how, you know, it's perfectly okay for a black person. And, and every generation, every couple of years, you get another set of white teenage boys wondering why they can't use the N-word. Oh, yeah. Online. Oh, but look, you know. Dr. Dre says it and like, shut up, it, idiot. Yeah, there's a reason. There's dude. a reason for that. And it's hundreds of years of you and your people using it yeah. and you can't anymore, okay? Yeah. That's that. Richie, do you hear that? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Sorry. As long as you... No, the line dropped, the Skype thing got, got all, it dropped off there, so I actually missed out on everything you just said. Oh, that's fine. We'll, we'll move swiftly on. We'll get it in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? You're not allowed to use the N-word, Richie. God damn it. <laughs> That's why I don't like being in the room or not being in the room. And then you jumped in and said, sorry, well, sorry. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It literally dropped out for a couple of seconds and I missed out on all of that. Oh, I'm sorry. As long as you're sorry, Richie, it's okay. Don't cut that out. I'm using my one episode veto. Keep that in. Fuck. And then most recently, most recently, what you would have seen is the, the new neo-Nazi movement growing in the in the US, co-opting the term alt-right, which was a descriptor used that they're the alternative right. It was originally used against them, and then they took it on with a badge of pride, because as we've already established, the whole Nazi branding thing is a little bit, people go, oh, not sure about that Nazi thing. The logo needs some work. The logo needs some work, yeah. Looks like a, a plus sign that's gone all wonky. <laughs> I don't know, it's weird. Mm. Uh, but alt-right, I can get on board with alt-right these look like a bunch of clean cut white gentlemen I can get on board extremely with that clean extremely clean cut extremely white <laughs> extremely white you end up with a bunch of people like Richard Spencer you know taking on the term alt-right as a sort of a badge of pride and and then they've gone and they've done things like even the term snowflake and this is something that really fascinates me snowflake is being thrown around I've seen two terms being thrown around by and the worst thing is it started off with the alt-right contrarians writing about it online, complaining about snowflakes and SJWs or social justice warriors, mm. right? Complaining about that. And now I've seen that creep further and further across the spectrum of politics to people who would declare themselves, uh, you know, they declare themselves centrists. They think that, you know, they're in the middle. They're not right wing or left wing. And they're writing about all oh, these snowflakes. And snowflake as a term, it actually has its origins in post-Civil War America, where a snowflake was um, a, a white person who, after slavery was made illegal, was in favor of retaining it. And they were called snowflakes because wow. they got all delicate about that. Like, Jesus. Whoa. Yeah. And it shifted. And up about three, four years ago, it became a descriptor on Tumblr, the social networking site, for people who were basically self-diagnosing their own mental illnesses and uh, basically choosing strange genders and sexualities. I say strange with in inverted uh, commas here that, uh, you know, that they would say on... Different to what was the established norm. Different to what was the established norm, exactly. So they'd be identifying as uh, I'm a grey asexual and I have a self-diagnosed autism, things like that. It was, it, look, it's a very, very strange world. Really, it's a very, very strange world. But, you know, if you want to call yourself whatever the hell you want, go ahead. But people started calling these people special snowflakes mm. the, under this idea that, oh, everybody wants to be individual and, you know, you, you want to be special. So you're you're, you know, you're giving yourself these descriptors. Your individuality yeah. offends me. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And that became, all of a sudden, that became a synonym for delicacy, the snowflake thing. And it's now used for anybody who sort of comes up and say, hey, you can't say that. Yeah, That's yeah, offensive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're getting oh, too you're sensitive. Oh, you're such a snowflake. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, it's, it's strange. The terms that we use, it's strange. It's, it's, it's really weird. And then, you know, you look at 
Social Justice Warrior. This one is the one that pisses me off more than anything else, right? If your enemies are warriors for social justice, you're the fucking bad guy. You're the bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) If you're up there complaining, look at all these warriors who are crusading for social justice. It's like, that's a good thing. Yeah, you've literally, you've got unambiguously word, a good thing. You're basically saying that you're against justice. <laughs> yeah, it's like being it's like being a bad guy dressed all in black with like skulls on your on your clothes. Going, wait a second, wait a second, yeah, I don't look like a good yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so language co-option, and then and then you look at like sometimes it can be quite innocent, like uh, the Irish reclaiming the term paddy, mm. um, you know, which was a term of abuse. You're a paddy, you're a mick, you know. Fenian or... Yeah, exactly. Tag. Tag. Yeah. I don't think that's quite been reclaimed yet. Has it not? You might see a few, like there are a lot of Celtic fans would call themselves Tims, which is the English word for tag or okay, tag. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, so you see... Uh, that's what the followers of Hello Internet, one of the most popular podcasts, call themselves as well. The Tims. The Tims. The Tims. Yeah, the Tims. <laughs> they all follow Celtic as well. <laughs> Maybe that's what the correlation <laughs> is. <laughs> They're all in the Green Brigade setting off flares and Glasgow. <laughs> We love CPG Grey. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so uh, the, the reclamation of, of language, like we, especially around 1990, uh, the the World Cup, when Ireland started to feel real confidence as a nation because we qualified for the the Soccer World Cup, uh, people were chastising the team, saying, "Oh, you're just a bunch of plastic paddies." Because only two or three out of the entire squad were born in Ireland. Yeah, because just to point out that for quite a lot of our soccer history, especially in the 90s and the 2000s, a lot of our players have been like second and third generation. Yeah, granny rule, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So they would be born in England to like maybe Irish parents or Irish grandparents. They chose to play for the Irish team. Yeah, and they're more than welcome. And this is this is where it comes back to the concept of nationality and the concept of language are not necessarily intertwined. They're not necessarily intertwined. And and this is why I find it so, so silly to see people, for example, and it's more prevalent in the States, but you certainly hear it over here, like, you're in Ireland now or you're in America now, speak English. So I'm like, yeah, that's not really related to your nationality. Isn't no. it true as well that America doesn't actually have an official language? No, it doesn't. Uh, now, there's an urban myth that they chose English um, barely, that it beat German by two votes. Uh, but none of that actually happened. It doesn't have an official language. Yeah. They just were an English colony, so they carried on speaking English. Actually, and, speaking of that, does the UK have an official language? Yeah. Is Deutsch? No. <laughs> Go back to the monarchy episode if you want to hear, understand the context of that joke. We yeah. know Frau Elizabeth. <laughs> Frau Elizabeth Saxe-Cobo-Gotha, if that is your real name. Um, yeah, no, the, the UK doesn't have an official language either. Normally countries that have an official languages act, they they tend to have more than one language, you know, and, and there's a lot of political reasons for doing it. Ireland has an official languages act in order to preserve and promote the Irish language. Sure. As, as little good as it's actually done, at least the legislation is there on paper to say Irish has a certain status because without it, there's a, every chance that Irish could drop off. And then you look at France, which has an official language act, which is designed to squash minority languages like Occitan and Breton into submission because you cannot interact with the government through these minority provincial languages. You, Breton is really, really, it's not banned, but it's certainly discouraged. It's not allowed in the school system. It's not allowed in the, in your, uh, your, your relationship with the state body itself. The, the, Breton the is the language. Breton is language spoken in Brittany. It's a Celtic language tangentially related to Irish and directly related to Welsh and Cornish and all that. Okay. So yeah, in Northwest France, in and around uh, um, Brest and Pampal and other places with funny names. Yeah, um, I think we've 
fucking covered the entire history of Irish language and most other languages. That's not bad for an hour. <laughs> you know, it's a complex language. We could go into some more. We could we could certainly talk about the future of the Irish language if you have another three hours. <laughs> <laughs> like very, very quickly, just like how are you, can you just say, are you confident in it? Are you optimistic about it? Like just preservation of it and the, the continuation of it. I so guess. I guess people have said quite a lot that the Irish language is dead. And I guess yeah. they've been saying that like every decade since, yeah, the, since it, whenever. And she fucking stubbornly refuses to die, uh, despite all best advice from <laughs> these these uh, language doctors. Um, <laughs> pull the plug. Yeah, yeah. Pull no. the fucking plug. And I was there going, I'm not dead. I'm just tired. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you, why are you plugging out my television? Like, I'm not on life support. I What's don't going understand on? you. You're not speaking the official language <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, hospital. Yeah. <laughs> um, so recent, uh, recent research indicates that over 100 languages will become extinct in the next 100 years. Uh, which is really, really shocking and really, really horrifying. Only 100? I thought it was 1,000. Uh, is it 1,000? Oh, yeah, it's quite a lot more. Okay, yeah. well, we'll find out. There's, anyway. like, there's something like 6,000 languages still being spoken, okay. and they're pretty sure most of them will be gone. Okay. There is a shit ton of languages yeah. <laughs> that are about to be extinct in the next century. Irish is not slated to be one of them. No way. No, so we're lucky. Um, fuck you, Aboriginals. We're still keeping our language. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not saying fuck you, Aboriginals, <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> I go, no, I'm going. That's going to be like the the promo material for this. It's just big quote marks. Fuck you, Aboriginal. As long as it's attributed Peter. to Steve. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's just kind of hard. The Skype thing keeps breaking up, so I'm not really sure who said it. But I'll just you know, I'll just I'll just say you it just ruined my career as an influencer. That's it. The last time I'm, well, it I'm never going to sell another go didgeridoo. <laughs> my entire life. <laughs> I know, he brought in these six didgeridoos with his face at the end of them. Yeah. But you put them on the wrong end. The one I didn't want to have your face on the end I have to blow into. Man, your masculinity is so fragile. We need to talk about that. <laughs> just, just blow into a guy's face. Uh, so you're confident, I guess, in the I'm confident, language. I'm confident. He's wearing a pink shirt, he's confident in his I'm incredibly confident. I'm also wearing br- bright blue trousers. Um, in the language, guys. Oh, in the language, sorry, yeah. Um... The Irish language is going to be, it's going to be grand and it's going to be grand in spite of the best efforts of the government rather than because of the best efforts of the government. If you look at rural Ireland and it's a problem that it's sort of, it's more about our government's attitude towards rural Ireland than it is about our government's particular attitude towards the language. But this idea of these rural reservations where Irish can be spoken and preserved forever, that's dying. And this idea of a physical area where Irish is the primary language, that's going to go as well. But this idea of language networks, where I have to live my life through English. 99% of the people I speak to on a daily basis, I speak English to them. But I have my social networks where I speak Irish. I speak Irish to certain friends. I go to certain events where I speak Irish. I have a radio show on Radio Nalifa, which is an Irish language radio station. So, Does your wife speak Irish? No, no, she doesn't actually. She's learning. And, you know, there's loads of cool apps you can learn Irish on, by the way. It's easier than ever to learn Irish. There's classes everywhere. Yeah, my wife was learning for a while as well. Yeah, Duolingo is is amazing. It's an amazing app. It's amazing for learning any language. It's great for building vocabulary and learning basic grammar rules. So it's easier than ever to go out and learn it if you take ownership of that yourself. Um, but no, my wife my wife doesn't speak Irish. So even when I'm at home, I'm speaking English in my house to, mm. to my own wife. But I include Irish in certain networks and in certain relationships and in certain activities. That's the future of the language, mm. that it doesn't become related to any one geographical place. And that I get the chance to speak Irish when I Skype a friend of mine in Chicago who's studying Celtic studies or in Toronto or Skype the people who organise the pop-up Gaeltacht in La Paz. 
So when I talk to these people, I speak Irish, and that's not related to a tiny little bit of Galway or a wee bit of Donegal or, or a, an artificially created Gaeltacht in Rathcarn County Meath. It's mm. not about that. It's about people. Language is all about people. It's not about nations. It's not about where you're from or the, the boundaries of where you live. There are no boundaries to language. Technology has been brilliant for that. And I, I am confident about the future of the Irish language because people are genuinely positively disposed towards it. You know, we look back after years having left the school system, we go, oh, it was shit, it was terrible, it was awful. But young people are actually more positively disposed towards the Irish language than ever before. Uh, you look at what some people have done, for example, there's this Irish language college that kids go to every year in Galway, uh, in Lurgan, in, in, in Connemara, and they do this these videos, they do these Irish language cover versions of English language pop songs. <laughs> and they're absolutely amazing. They're absolutely class. What a way to make the Irish language fun and kind of relevant to people. And and relevance is key. If, if, if a language remains relevant to enough people, it really can't die. If there remains a reason for people to speak it. And for me, it's a case of identity. It's a case of who I am and who I want to be and the world I want to live in. Uh, so for me, I don't, I don't think Irish will ever... Well, I don't think it'll die soon. I really, really hope it won't die soon. That's a depressing fucking thought to end on, Richie. But yeah, yeah thanks. No, that's just our brand ending on depressing <laughs> thoughts. It's not new. Hashtag branding. God, wouldn't it be great if tomorrow you opened up a newspaper and it just said Irish language dead? <laughs> like it was scientifically <laughs> just it's like, oh, shit, it happened. Time of death, 10.56 p.m. Yeah. The hour That's, after this podcast goes live. But like even if, even, if, even if languages die, though, there's always hope because Manx died. As a, as a spoken language. It completely died. The last native speaker died in the 20th century and it got completely resurrected. And now no there, there are Manx language primary schools on the Isle of Man. That's fantastic. It's amazing. Cornish has the same hope or had the same hope until Brexit completely fucked it. Uh, and I know like you guys have spoken an awful lot about Brexit, but the effect Brexit has on minority language in the UK is going to be unbelievably bad. Oh. Because... So the EU cares deeply about minority languages through bodies like Eurolang and, and, and other cultural organizations in the EU that support minority languages. So they were funding Cornwall. They were sending an awful lot of funding to Cornwall. An awful lot of money was going to Cornwall to support its tourism industry and its native language. And then they voted. They voted actually probably higher than any other region in England to leave the EU and then turned around to the Conservative government and said, you'll replace all that funding, won't you? Oh, my God. And the Conservative government said, uh, no. So the Cornish language is in serious, serious danger. But we have been in contact with a great group of people who decided to copy our pop-up Gaeltic model and organise a pop-up, I hope I pronounce this right, a pop-up Kerneveg, which is a uh, Kernevegna, which is an area in which Cornish is spoken. So yeah. hopefully community grassroots project. If they don't call that pop Cornish, they're stupid. They should call it pop Cornish. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I saved the language. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be building a statue to Richie Nolan in Penzance. Oh, they just named one of the Cornish pastries after him. <laughs> the Richie. The Richie. I would prefer that, actually. <laughs> what, what, what ingredients would it have, Richie? Um, what's the most rare, exquisite animal? <laughs> the unicorn. Yeah. No, I don't know. What would be? It would be empty. Oh, oh that'd, that'd, be, be empty. that'd be good. It's just a lot of hot air comes out of it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's a good uh, down note to end on, I think. Yeah, Richie saving a language, fantastic. That's great. That's how I want to end every episode. I'm getting a pasty named after him. Yeah, that's fantastic.
I wish I had a pasty named after you. Keep on helping those Cornish. We'll we'll work on that. <laughs> uh, before we sign off, do you want to plug your Twitter? If there's anything, your radio show, anything like that? Uh, yeah, um, I'm on Twitter, at the Cav official. That's K-A-V, official. Is there a lot of unofficial calves out there? No, no, I just am an arrogant bollocks yeah. who uh, <laughs> picked a, a Twitter name that was kind of stupid at the time and I never imagined at any stage in the future I'd be doing a podcast and people would actually be listening to me, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I also have a radio show on Radio Nalifa. Uh, you can stream it around the world on radionalifa.ie. And if you're in Dublin, it's 106.4 FM every Thursday at seven o'clock. And uh, you can find Pop-Up Gweltacht on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, all around the world, hopefully in a city near you soon. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Do they do they mind people that aren't Irish speakers dropping in? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. It's like like a Gaeltacht. It doesn't matter what you speak. It's fine. What we wanted to create was an area where those who speak Irish can feel comfortable speaking Irish. Mm. But like there's nobody giving you an entrance exam or anything on the way in. <laughs> no, just swing by, have a pint. That's what it's all about. Cool. Cool. So uh, thanks for listening. It really means the world to us that you're listening and that you're sharing. That's brilliant because we don't really do anything to promote this show. So word of mouth really is the only way we have to, to spread this around. So we appreciate you continuing to do that. Someone who has been doing that, uh, Jemima. Jemima, Steve, that's how it's pronounced, right? Jemima. 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 She's at a ranting reader on Twitter anyway. And I'm sorry, Jemima slash Jemima. I'm not sure how you pronounce your name, but we wanted to give you a little shout out because she was doing great work in um, promoting us to some of her friends and Twitter followers who are looking for podcasts that they listen to. Her Twitter hand- handle is a ranting reader. Yeah. If you can go on there and try and figure out how to pronounce her name. That would be great. If you want to tweet us how you pronounce your name, that would be amazing. She's got a great blog, actually, as well, um, that you should yeah. check out. I'll link all that in the show notes as well. She's 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 super young, but she's super talented. And I think she's going to be like a rising star in the political blog space and she has her own podcast as well so actually shit we might be promoting a competitor I just realised okay forget everything I just said (laughs) (laughs) yes thank you very much yeah it really means the world to us I thought we could take a moment to just show our appreciation by mentioning some of our favourite things about her Steve what are your favourite things about Gemma Um, well I especially love that she was the person who told JK Rowling to put um, Quidditch into the books oh yeah that was a great move because before that it was just going to be just a bunch of lads playing soccer yeah yeah and even though like she's 17 and the books are 20 years old this year I don't think it's still a great feat that she managed to do that don't think yeah, about it. My favourite thing about her is that between the years 2012 and 2016, she was ranked number three for limboing in the world. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. was that was like a big achievement. But she lost it last year. I don't know if you heard that story, Steve. Oh, no. Yeah, her title was stripped from her because they found out she was gluing Hot Wheels to the back of her head, which is a, it's, it's an easy way of cheating when it comes to limbo. It's actually a serious problem. It's like they're doping. So <laughs> she's since lost that title, but still admirable all the same yeah well look keep it up and uh, anyone else um, if you want to like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter at Politics, you can send us an email whatampolitics at gmail.com and check out the website that Richie made it's super nice and shiny it's uh, whatampolitics.com <laughs> when um, you go to it now it's just it's just, K, it's just K3 just peeking over looking at you it's actually kind of yeah, every that. time I load it's like oh Jesus Kim I think that we should get stickers of those and like sit them on top of urinals or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really, it's really distracting <laughs> it's really, really distracting. It's on our Twitter and Facebook now as well. And every time like I, I reload any of those pages, it just pops up and I go, oh God. Ah, it's happened. <laughs> He's here. He's here. Hello, Still, Richie. I heard you made a podcast about me. Is that, is that how he sounds? I'm not doing any other impression of how he sounds, Richie. Don't, don't goad me into that. <laughs> go watch Team America if you want to hear how Richie wants me to do something. No, no, that's, I don't, nope, shush. I don't want. Don't want any of that. <laughs> cool, that's it. Thank you so much, Peter, for, for coming on the show. You added a, a wonderful air of legitimacy that we so sorely need. <laughs> 
just to point out, he might be used to video because he just gave a thumbs up. I did. Oh, I did really? just give a thumbs up. I gave a thumbs up to to <laughs> the sound of that thumb going up and cutting through the air. I heard with it a, with an elegant swish. I gave a thumbs up. Thanks a million, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I can't wait to uh, hear myself curse and apologise to Richie's mother. Uh, Mammy yeah. Nolan. I'm sorry, Mammy Nolan. Gurev Mahagat Pat. A fought your old Stephen. Hey! <laughs> you try, Richie. Gurev. Cunt. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> okay, so you're. Uh, Slang of foil, Richie. Slang of foil.